he wasn't the focal point of that Raptors offense, and he still averaged 6.6 assists per game. For me, that player is Drew Holiday, a guy that I think is the pinnacle of consistency. I definitely think SGA is very primed to have another breakout year this coming season. If you're only looking at numbers, you're never going to win fantasy. We say that all the time. You can't just look at the numbers. Hey guys, welcome back to episode two of the Flashy Stats Fantasy Podcast. I'm Vince and I'm joined here by Giuseppe, Matt, and Mike. And today we're going to be talking about our top 10 fantasy point guards for this upcoming season. Uh, number one on our list is Damian Lillard. And I'm going to kick it off to you, Giuseppe, where you can talk a little bit more about that. Because he was a consensus guy. Each of us put him as number one on our individual list. Yeah, like you said, uh, it was an easy pick for all of us, considering we all put him at our number one. Um, I could not see any reason to put anyone above Damian Lillard. He had an amazing last season. He's been amazing for the past, you know, five five years for sure. He's been like above the rest. Um, I think we talked a little bit about you know some disrespect to Lillard. Maybe he in years past he wasn't in our top ten, I mean, or not top ten. Um, maybe our top three. But this year I think we finally gave him the respect he deserves. You know, he was averaging almost thirty points a game. And um, I, I just see nothing different for Lillard the next year. Um, the team should be exactly the same, considering Whiteside and Mello are the only ones that their contracts run up. And I expect them to re-sign Whiteside and Mello. So the team should be the same. Um, Lillard is the focal point of that Blazers team. He's the guy that keeps them afloat. So I expect uh, more of the same for Lillard. And, yeah, I mean, kind of adding on to that, you know, the past 10 games of the season, he was putting up numbers that we haven't seen since maybe Wilt Chamberlain or at least Michael Jordan scoring 40, 50 on a nightly basis. And this year I see the Blazers fighting again for playoff position. And that's something that I, at least I look towards as like a player who will be consistent throughout the year and trying, you know, not really taking any rest days. Now I think we should go into our number two on our list. And Mike, as our resident, I spent almost half of my auction budget on him. Do you want to talk a little bit about my number two? I just feel that all-around Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. I mean, just in general, he's he's good in almost all categories shooting. I mean, he's, he's got an amazing free throw. I think my only concern with him and putting him at number two is just how he's going to come back from that injury and seeing how that's going to play. But I still feel that him as a player, like, I don't see how you can put any other point guard above him. I mean, he has very similar stats to Trey Young, but he almost does it on a level better than Trey on every single category he's been. And so I feel like putting him at number two is just, I think that's exactly where he belongs. Steffi, do you want to talk about why you have him below Trey Young on your personal list? Because you're the only one out of the four of us that didn't have Steph at number two. And I was curious to hear a little bit of your reasoning for that. Yeah, so I saw him below Trey Young just because I see the team around Atlanta, especially adding. Clint Capella really boosted up Trey Young's stock for me because, as you saw in Houston, he's a great pick-and-roller. And if they double Trey Young, he just throws an alley-oop to Clint Capella. And if not, Trey Young can hit a semi-open three, which that's what kind of put me above Steph Curry there is that really Curry, his next best player is maybe Draymond, and I didn't really like that about Curry. I mean, you're saying that Trey Young needs – you think that Clint Capella boosts his stock because he'll have an extra player to, you know, boost his assist and whatnot. But Curry is a player who, who creates for himself. I see in that argument, but I don't, no offense, Draymond Green, he's not relevant in the Curry scheme. Like I mean, Curry Curry is definitely one of the best off-ball offensive player, like by far the best off-ball. Like everyone's a mile And if you watch him during a play, he never stops moving. He's always running around picks and stuff. And there's a big difference between having Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. And Klay Thompson will be there next year, but he's not going to be handling the ball. So there's a big difference between having another guy like Kevin Durant on there and he's not going to be off the ball. So he's going to be, you know, more on the ball. And I think he does better when someone else is getting him open or finding him on a pass than he does by himself. I just curious, like, was there someone giving him the ball back when he won back-to-back MVPs? I mean, he was creating for himself then. I think that adding Kevin Durant to the system reduced his stocks and not having Kevin Durant there, in my opinion, just makes Curry all the more, uh, uh, enticing I don't even know how, what I would want to say like I feel like his stock has gone way up without Durant there and I don't feel I feel that him playing off ball getting you know those open three-point shots based on the system that they're in I feel he provides more value when he's able to create for himself that's a good point but if you notice I know he only played five games this season which is a really small sample size so I can't really talk about it too much but 
his field goal percentage from 2018-2019 to 2019-2020 dropped from 47% to 40% without Kevin Durant. The year he had Kevin Durant, 2017-2018, his field goal percentage was almost 50%. So he's shooting a lot more shots and not making nearly as much. That brings his field goal percentage below Trey Young, and that's why I think uh, not just the field goal percentage is why I think Trey Young is, is ahead of Curry, but also, like I said, this, the assist rate just brings Trey Young above Curry. I know we don't want to talk about Curry too much. I mean, look at Curry, man. I just feel that taking the last season as an example for Curry, I think you just really can't even compare it because there was no Clay Thompson there, and you have to throw D'Angelo Russell into that just out of nowhere. So knowing that to be honest, with no disrespect to D'Angelo Russell, the really only main huge threat focused on was Curry. So, yeah, his field goal may not have been as good, and he had to shoot way more shots. And then he ended up getting hurt. So I do think there's huge question marks around him, but ultimately I can't disrespect him, and I think he, he belongs there at number two. All right. Now, if we want to go um, beyond Curry and Trey Young here and talk a little bit more about um, the fourth guy in our consensus top ten, Kyrie Irving. Uh, we all had him basically around the same area, uh, ranging anywhere from third on our list down to sixth. Um, and Giuseppe, I see that you have Kyrie Irving here. You're the one who has him number as high number three on your list, uh, above even Stephen Curry, who we just talked about a little bit more. Um, do you want to talk about that decision a little bit? Yeah. So kind of more of the same. I saw Trey Young and Kyrie in kind of similar situations. Trey Young's obviously a, a much better three-point shooter, but Kyrie has a has a significantly better field goal percentage, and he showed that last year. Even playing without Kevin Durant, but I expect that field goal percentage to stay the same. Playing with Kevin Durant, I don't expect it to get any better, but I think he'll be shooting a little less. I mean, he averaged almost 40 points a game last year, which is insane. His free throw percentages were were good, and I put him right below Trey Young because I think that the addition of Kevin Durant next year. You know, deflated stats a little bit, but I think he's still in my my top three for sure. See, I actually, I, I have him as number six personally on my list um, because to me, I look at a guy who um, he's right in the prime of his career, but he did just have a big season-ending shoulder surgery, which as we've seen with guys like Markel Fultz can really diminish a guy's shooting abilities. Uh, I don't really see it having such a detrimental effect on Kyrie. He is still one of the top point guards in the league. Um, but just having KD and potentially another big market free agent um, joining that team, you know, you add that to a guy who's fairly injury prone, hasn't played more than 70 games in like four or five seasons. And I see him around, you know, a fifth or sixth best point guard in the league for next year. Yeah. I mean, there's one stat that I saw that kind of um, stood out to me that was interesting when I was looking up Kyrie Irving. And it was the amount of uh, free throw attempts he took last season. He took 7.4 free throw attempts per game, which – might be, you know, I don't know, the high of the top 10, but, and he shot 92%, which I think is a huge boost to your, wow. to your free throw percentage in a category-based um, league, obviously. The more attempts and the more, obviously, successful attempts that you make, a free throw percentage, it brings it up more. So when you have a high, a high percentage shooter, like Kyrie Irving on a team, it will boost your free throw percentage alone, you know, significantly higher. So that's, that's what put him in my top three was that's that his free throw attempts. I was just going to say, like, all around, Kyrie is a great fantasy option, especially for his shooting percentages among the top between field goal and free throw. I mean, he's definitely has the best mm -hmm. when it comes to that, and he's obviously a very great scorer and almost provides in every category. I think my only concern with him is, yes, I mean, A, injuries, and, and, and B, how he's going to react with this new team, especially with Kevin Durant thrown in. It could be something great like it was when Kyrie played with LeBron. And in my opinion, that was the best Kyrie Irving that we've ever seen. I mean, throwing him into mm -hmm. a new team, I, I feel he doesn't mesh well when he's trying to be that the leader or like the go-to man of the team. So I honestly think that throwing Kevin Durant in there boosts his value just based on how he plays. There won't be that stress of having the ball all the time. So I think maybe that would preserve his body and he would be able to prolong the season and play more games. That's a good point. I mean, something that's just worth mentioning, he shot 3.1 threes a game, which if I were to guess, I would have thought maybe two. And I expect him to have three threes a game, which was shocking to me. Yeah, he did have a great season this past year. I think he kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people because he only played about 20 games. But 
you know, before the injury, he was putting up around 27 points a game with like a 27-5-6 stat line. It's a couple of steals and uh, a couple of threes. And he was a great option if you if you take out a lot of that uncertainty, which I try to account for when I'm drafting my team, that you don't 100% know where the player's going to end up and how consistent he's going to be throughout the year, then Kyrie is definitely a great fantasy option. And he does come in at number four on our list here. And now I would like to move on to number five on our list, uh, which is Russell Westbrook, Rick. who, along with one of the players on our list, might be the most disputed player we have here and one of the most inconsistent players we have across our list, uh, ranging as high as number four and going as low as number eight. So, Mike, I see here that you have Russell Westbrook as ace on your spot, and he does come in at fifth on our consensus here. I feel that Westbrook kind of – he's just a totally different player now. One thing I'm impressed is his percentages have gone way up now playing with James Harden. And so I think that's definitely a plus for him. I'm so biased because I'm not big on Westbrook. So it was very tough for me and where I wanted to put him. And so, unfortunately, he did fall to eight. But I feel that is this very inconsistent. And he is a stat stuffer. You always see all that stuff about is there really value in getting uncontested rebounds and stuff like that. Obviously, for fantasy, there is, but any player can end up taking that role. Who knows how it's going to mesh? And let's just say the season ended up continuing and, you know, the Rockets didn't end up working out in playoffs. If they would change up their game plan and not play small ball and maybe have Westbrook in a smaller role, I don't know. There's just so many question marks about him, and I just unfortunately don't like the stat-stuffing players that provide no other value. Mike. You touched the same points as I did, but I kind of spin them in a different way. So, like, talking about Russell Westbrook, you said his percentages went up. That was a crazy jump from the following year with Harden. But, obviously, his rebounds and his assists went down. I mean, the last three years, he was averaging a triple-double in fantasy, which is which is awesome. But his categories that are negative that I put in quotations because turnovers, free throw percentage, and field goal percentage – those are those negative categories that guys can bring you down, whereas other categories are just totals. So he brought you down in those categories by averaging, you know, four and a half turnovers a game, which is four. But I think you mentioned small ball, and I thought that was interesting for uh, Russell Westbrook because that he gives him another opportunity to get those uncontested rebounds because they have no center on the court. So you saw him and Harden, their rebound rate go up when they turned to small ball. And also I thought, you would see Russell Westbrook's steal percentage go up. When they're playing small ball, they're kind of playing in zones and kind of between passing lanes. So they're trying to pick off the, the passing lanes into the center and all that. So I think you see Russell Westbrook's steal percentage actually go up with that. And that change to the small ball actually kind of brought him up my rankings. Yeah, so I feel like the Russell Westbrook in the small ball video game type, forget all the rules, we're going to shoot threes. Rockets system is the best Westbrook we've seen that we saw on the Rockets. I mean, you look at the past, you know, 10 games after the all-star break and he was putting up close to numbers we'd seen when he was in OKC. Um, I just think having that spacing to allow him to drive to the paint and allow him to really be his own player um, helped him a lot. He obviously had a bit of a slump at the beginning of the season that dropped him on a lot of people's lists in terms of fantasy value, but he really saw himself become a top five fantasy point guard option over the last, 10, 15 games of the season. And it really is just a matter of this next year is if he can carry that momentum into the next year. And I think that he can. I think that if they continue to use a system that works well for him, for his steals, for his points, for his rebounds, and then I really see his value continuing to go upward, even though he is getting and, and, into and that's, the it's early just, 30s now. You know, it's really hard to say with him, only, I mean, only because the Rockets did change up their system, you know, midway through the season. The season wasn't finished, and towards the end, Westbrook was almost playing out of his mind. And on the year, he's averaging less steals than he was back when he was on OKC. So, I mean, at least for me, and he's averaging less in every single stat. The only stats that have gone up are his, are his shooting percentages. Personally, I wouldn't want someone with, with horrible shooting percentages. So Westbrook, for me, has become a lot more enticing. Whereas, to be honest, as much as he belonged on a list previously, I, would not, I just wouldn't want to put him on there. Just because I don't value that kind of play. That has nothing to do with, you know, for fantasy-wise, he's, he's, he's amazing. Now we are going to kick into our sixth spot on our list, who again was with Westbrook, one of the most inconsistent players across our list, um, appearing as high as number five on some and as low as number 
eight on others, or actually as low as number nine on others. Um, we do have Kyle Lowry come, of the Toronto Raptors coming in at number six on our list. Giuseppe, I see that you have him here as the lowest on your list at number nine. Can you talk a little bit more about that and why you have him in that? I actually had Fred Van Vliet pretty high. That kind of went into my rankings because I think him and Fred Van Vliet played really well, and it was kind of to Kyle Lowry's benefit. And I fully expect Fred Van Vliet to move on from the Raptors um, the following year after his contract expires. I hope he goes to the Pistons, but that's just maybe dumb hope. But Kyle Lowry was a player that I've never really been high on. I think he, he kind of reminds me of like a Cassius Winston where I think he does, he does, he's a very good player and he does all like the fundamental things very well. Obviously for a team, he's very important because of how hard he works defensively. But fantasy wise, I never really rated him very highly. But looking at his stats, I, I constantly try to find negatives to Kyle Lowry's game and something that, you know, I could kind of bash on or something that I didn't like. But I just happened to find him be, you know, Chris Paul-esque. He had almost three threes a game, which was surprising to me. 1.3 steals a game, just showing his defensive, you know, stats. But he almost averaged 20 points a game. So I had to put him in my top 10. I really couldn't. I, I really tried to take him out of my top 10, but I, I couldn't. So I put him at nine. Considering he's 33 years old, I'm expecting a sort of decline. But if he wasn't on the Raptors, I don't think he'd be in my top 10. So that's why he made it in. Barely squeaked in at my top nine. Yeah, I had him in at number eight on mine. I was amongst the lower end of the spectrum here. Here's a couple stats that I noted down for Kyle Lowry. He did put up 25 and eight this past year. Three threes a game, low turnover rate. Um, But here's a couple of things that I thought about him. He's going to be 34 this year, like you mentioned. We don't see a lot of players outside of LeBron and maybe Chris Paul being really effective going into the mid-30s. Um, he had low minutes. You know, he was only playing 32 or 33 minutes a game. As you know, he is disputably not the best player on his team. I mean, that role probably belongs to Siakam. Um, and he was a 42% field goal shooter. So he is a little bit of a, a difficult player to predict, uh, given the year he just had and going into the older parts of his career but that's why I put him around my number eight on my list. I want to hear what Mike put him at. Lowry is pretty good all around. You don't really need to, like, for Westbrook, to really be effective with him on your fantasy team, you really need to punt one of his bad categories. I definitely think that Lowry's only really bad category is his field goal percentage. So he's really good. You can plug him into any roster, and he'll be fine. That's why I have him at five. And you know exactly what to expect from Lowry every single time. I mean, throughout the regular season, it's the, exactly. it's the, exactly. it's the best Lowry you see. I mean, obviously in the playoffs and whatnot, he gets hate. But we're not talking about that strictly now. You just know exactly what to expect from whereas Westbrook, there, yes, his stats, yes, the numbers don't lie. He provides in a lot more areas at a higher level. But he's all unpredictable, and there's times – you're not going to see Lowry go 0 for 12 to, to start a game like like you may see with Westbrook. And so, like, when it, on a week-to-week basis, maybe Westbrook's overall season stats are better. But when, you're, when you have to win week by week, there could just be really bad weeks that Westbrook has that Lowry will not. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to supplement the difference between the two players by simple waiver pickups throughout the week in our format, the way we play. Exactly. So, it's... That's a good point. I mean, there's there's some players in our league that at the end of the season, their stats look great. Like Westbrook, you know, his, if you look at his end of the season stats, they look really good. But there are weeks where Russell Westbrook shoots, you know, lower than 35%. Yeah. That really, you don't you don't get to see in his career or, um, you know, his season standings. But, yeah, it, it makes a big difference in those week-to-week matchups when you really need, you know, your field goal percentage or you really need – you know, your certain assists, and those are, like, almost non-existent in one part of the week. Oh, God. Next week, when we talk about our top 25 point guards, our 11 through 25 in our fantasy list, I'm definitely going to complain a little bit more about this, but what you just said, Giuseppe, about Westbrook is <laughs> exactly how I felt having Terry as the year on my fantasy team all year. You look back on the stats, and you see a guy with 18 points a game or 17 and three threes, and you know, four and five rebounds and assists, and you think, wow, this guy's a pretty productive player, but I swear to God, every time it was Sunday and I was down by 10 points, and he would get nine. Like, having a guy with consistent stat production, a guy like in the past, an Otto Porter Jr. or like a Jalen Brown or somebody like that who you know day in and day out is going to provide you good value is actually very important to have, and I can see why you guys are Yeah, and there's players like that. There's players where, you know, you look at their stats and – they might disappear for a week, but there's players like Terry Rozier where 
you look at their stats and like, what am I really getting out of a guy like Terry Rozier? And then you look at his, you know, season stats and you see that they're pretty, they're pretty good numbers and pretty consistent numbers, but it's just sometimes frustrating to have fantasy players like that because you can't really depend on them to have, have a breakout like game. They're kind of just really average the whole year, but you need some of those players on your fantasy team. So that's what, that's what Kyle Lowry was for me. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was above, you know, above the, the top 10. So now let's talk a little bit more about the number seven player on our list, who is Ben Simmons. Uh, again, coming in as high as number five on a couple of our lists, but as low as number 10 on other lists. I'm already very biased towards him. I think the argument is just the <laughs> same thing as the Westbrook argument. And yeah, he shoots a great field goal. His free throw is absolutely atrocious. To be honest, he gets no three-pointers at all whatsoever. I know that's a stat that's easily picked up off of waivers. He provides in rebounds and assists and gets a decent amount of points. But all in all, he's just, in my opinion, looking at him and looking at all the other point guards on here, he's average. I just don't see how he's as valued high on your list. I would obviously like to hear it, but that's why I put him as low as I did. Yeah, I have him as number five on my list, which felt even a little high for myself being a 76ers fan and knowing that I have a little bit of bias, but just looking purely at his stats, he is probably the biggest up and down player that you have on your, on, that we have on this entire list. And maybe one of the biggest, you know, up and down point guards in the entire league, having a couple categories, which are absolutely elite. You're not going to find another point guard with 59% field goal shooting. Um, he led the league or was close to leading the league in steals. Um, and then he put up, you know, 17 points, eight rebounds, eight assists. Those are all extremely good numbers but you do match that with a player who has has made I think one three-pointer in his career he shoots about 51% from the line and he has fairly high turnover which does limit his upside here um, to me Simmons is a guy that if you do want him and you want to have him on your fantasy team you should definitely plan ahead for it uh, don't just draft him and put him into the rest of your team system because you will be frustrated with him as you will take a couple of your categories um, but if you plan for it ahead of time and, and punt a category, um, which, by the way, guys, I know we've mentioned punting a couple of times here. If you're not familiar and are fairly new to fantasy, punting a category is basically when you say, you know, I'm not going to take any guys that are good in, say, points. I'm going to take a lot of guys who have low points and are very good at other things and just know that I'm going to lose this category every week. And Ben Simmons is the kind of guy that if you do plan on punting a category, you know, you compare him with a big like Rudy Gobert, Andre Drummond, and know that you're going to lose free throw percentage, know that you're going to lose three-pointers, but know that you're also going to probably be the best team in the league in rebounds and in field goal shooting. And he's a guy like that where he does have that upside and he can't carry you in a couple categories, and that's why I have him. Um, yeah, I think you mentioned – I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the big Aussie man. I I like having Aaron Baines <laughs> now. Uh, ben Simmons, I'm, I'm, his field goal percentage is godly, like far and above, above any point guard in the league. But equally, his his free throw percentage is just equally as bad, which is really you know tough to gauge. And, and Min, uh, Vince mentioned you know tanking kind of categories, and if free throw percentage is a category that your team doesn't really excel in, I think Ben Simmons is a great player for that team. He has the most steal. He had the most steals per game at a point guard last season at two point one. His turnovers are uh, poor, you know, at, at three point six, but. I think his steals and his field goal percentage alone and his assist at 8.2 can bring your team, you know, above that, above that line to a a good team, to a great team. So I need the focal point of that, you know, Philadelphia 76ers team, which have, has a lot of good pieces around him. So he'll always be a great player. You know, you just have to consider what do you want to do with your free throw percentage and potentially. Yeah, I definitely think he's one of the uh, players like Westbrook where you definitely need to punt one of their bad categories. Yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons is also going into his fourth year, but I believe it's his third year if you account for the... <laughs> yeah, hopefully he can win the rookie of the year this year, too. First rookie season. I think everybody's kind of counting him out and seeing him as a one-dimensional player. There are a lot of great players that have come before him, like a Giannis or like a LeBron that didn't really have a great jumper when they came into the league. I mean, not to the, the mental level that a lot of people perceive Ben Simmons to be at, where he almost looks like... He's a little nervous to shoot them, but he does still have time in his career and throughout the offseason um, to be working on that jumper. I mean, especially now, it's 
he's, you know, probably has a hoop in his backyard, hopefully, or something like that. He can be putting up a lot of threes and um, improve that going into next season and really take care of a couple of those inconsistencies. In a I'm here to say that Ben Simmons will never have more than one three a game in his career. I'll I mean, put that in paper right now. That paper, I'll put it in stone. Well, I'll see you on there's, freezing cold. There's no way. I mean, you, you talk about, you know, like Giannis and LeBron James and – Obviously, LeBron James didn't shoot coming in, and he's shooting much better. But his percentages are still really low. I think he just shoots a lot more threes now. Giannis will shoot an occasional, like, open three, but I just don't see Ben Simmons ever developing a three. I think he's just, at this point, he just said, I'm going to do what I'm good at, and I'm going to play to my strengths. And I don't think he's going to put the time into shooting a three. I think he's where just I don't a traditional body, body type, and back then – the three-point wasn't popular, and I feel he's never, no matter how much he tries, he's never going to be able to develop that kind of shot. Moving on beyond Simmons here into the number eight spot on our list, we have Chris <laughs> Paul, um, which Matt and Mike, I want to hear from you guys. and hear you guys discuss this a little bit more because you have my completely different end of your spectrum. Matt, you have him as your number four point guard for this upcoming season, and, and Mike, you have him not even in your top ten. Matt, if you want to start us off here and talk a little bit of justification. What to expect. He's one of those wildly consistent players. You can always account for him having a high uh, assist total, high percentages. He's really good about not turning over the ball. He, I think he's one of the more reliable point guards on our list, which is uh, a it's very valued in fantasy especially. Because like we were talking about earlier, we have like the Terry Rozier's and the Russell Westbrooks where you can't really rely on them. Yeah, so Chris Paul, I couldn't not put him in my top 10. Maybe last year I would have kept him on my top 10, but this year was just, you know, just a wake-up call for me. And I think Chris Paul still in that top 10 spot. He's at number eight for me. He had an amazing and shocking season last year, but he also had his lowest assist per game in his career for a season. So that's to be expected when, you know, he's, he is the, the focal point of that, that team, but we can see that Oklahoma City Thunder are kind of trying to play their younger guys and try to develop them, like uh, Shai Gillis-Alexander, which we all are really high on, and some of us even had him in, in our top tens, but they didn't, he didn't make our consensus top ten. I think they're going to let SGA maybe play a little bit more at point guard, and that will kind of hurt Chris Ball, but I thought – Chris Paul's field goal and free throw percentages were amazing. I mean, he always had great free throw percentages. We know that, but his field goal percentages were were very, very good uh, last year, and that's what kind of put him and, and I, in my top ten. He was not on my list. He was not in my top ten, and I feel like that's because there's a lot of great young point guards that I feel are going to make that huge leap next year. Just as we said, I feel that SGA is going to be getting a lot more minutes, and and Chris Paul is going to be willing to take that backseat in order to in a sense, teach. I feel like his stats are going to take a little bit of a hit just when it comes to that realm. I mean, and I don't want people to think that I was hating on Chris Paul because he wasn't on my list. And I know that most people aren't ever going to hear our last talk on, you know, when we did that trial podcast. But I was I was Chris Paul's biggest rooter for saying that he deserved to be an all-star this year when none of you guys said that. So by no means am I hating on Chris Paul. It's just simply that next year I feel the open Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be moving in a different direction that's not going to benefit him as a fantasy player. Yeah, for me, Chris Paul is one of those guys where he's really good at pretty much everything, but he doesn't particularly excel in any one category. I mean, just to pull a couple of stats from this last year, 49% shooter is excellent for a point guard. He's good at, he has, you know, about two turnovers a game, which is almost unheard of for a guy who has seven assists a game. Puts up 18-5-7 and seven with almost two steals a game um, but again he's going to be 35 this year Mike I can see where you're coming from where they might start to make a transition uh, maybe putting some more finish with Shea at the one people also might forget about Dennis Schroeder you know he was one of the best six men in the league this year so they do have a three-point guard system Chris Paul has had a tendency prior to the season to be fairly injury prone was fortunate enough to not come across anything particularly detrimental this past season but he will at some point or another, you know, father time will take every player. And this might be the year for Chris Paul, but I do see another year of solid production coming out of him. I think, I think it was important that you mentioned Dennis Schroeder because I didn't have him in consideration when I put Chris Paul at my eight. But I think Dennis Schroeder would be my sixth man of the year this year. He played significant minutes for OKC, and that's going to 
And he's going to continue to do that. So that's going to cut into Chris Paul's production, his minutes next year, and how many assists and things like that. So it will kind of de- decrease Chris Paul's production next year. But I think his percentages should be as high as they are this year. And that keeps him in my top 10. I feel like we all wrote off Chris Paul when he got traded at OKC last summer. So I definitely think that while you guys are all having some valid arguments that I think it's not going to go how we're all uh, expecting it to go in terms of in terms of his production declining. Yeah, I think it was easy to you know write him off as a fantasy player because we see so many NBA teams writing him off. So when when you see fantasy or you know mm-hmm. you see NBA teams kind of like here take Chris Paul and they're like and OKC can't find a trade candidate for Chris Paul but which is obviously because of his yeah. his massive contract for the next two years, which is a big reason why teams don't want him. Just But considering how good he's been, OKC is probably ecstatic in their trade. And although the contract is very, very high, um, they're going to ride out what they have with Chris Paul for maybe the next two years. And then once that contract goes out, they can you know sign another free agent. Yeah, I think we all, all four of us, and most of most NBA fans in general, wrote off Chris Paul and in, in OKC a little bit more than we ought to have, and and owe them an apology. I mean, they're one of the biggest surprise teams from this past season, and that is in no small part due to Chris Paul's leadership, his ability to just be a point general and still be a great defender at 34. Long yeah, and like we mentioned, yeah, and like we mentioned, um, SGA. I think it's great for him to be able to play with Chris Paul for hopefully these next two years and have him kind of mentor him, and and I think that will that will help with Shai Gildas Alexander's development into a great fantasy player like he already was this year, but. Once he gets more more time at the starting point guard and be able to run the offense himself, I think you can see him creeping into the top 10 within the next you know two, three years. So number nine on our list, we have John Morant, who, Mike, you almost single-handedly carried Morant into the top of our list. I had him at number nine on my list, which goes along with our consensus. And then Giuseppe and Matt, you guys had him pretty far outside of your own top 10. So I do want to hear from you guys about your reasoning for that. I I love John Morant. He was one of the young studs on my fantasy team this past year. Um, and I see him continuing to improve. But Mike, you have him at number four above, you know, a lot of guys that we've already talked about, Kyle Lowry, <laughs> Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook. It's not always about the stats. And we always say that. And just looking at his hmm. stats, no, I, if you're only looking at numbers, you're never going to win fantasy. We say that all the time. You can't just look at the numbers. So there's something this I do agree is a hot take. I did strap John Morant on my back and carry him up to number four on my list and have him single-handedly make our list because of me. But my reason behind that is I just feel that next year he's going to make a huge leap. I see something in him. No, there is no numbers behind it, and I couldn't speak to it. I think that he has all the tools he needs. He put up solid numbers last year with 17.6 points per game. He shot very good shooting percentages, 50% field goal almost, which is very good for a point guard. I I see him evolving into a player that is going to make a huge jump next year. And sometimes you just aren't able to predict stuff like that. Even with, you know, Jonathan Isaac, no one knew that he was going to make the significant jump he did, even with shooting 3% better than he did in 2019. So, for certain players, it's just you just have a feeling with them, and and that's just the way I operated with him. All right, while you still have John Morant and you're on your back and strapped up, I have a question for you about him. So, mm-hmm. so you talk about this big jump that you're expecting to see from John Morant, and this big jump will leap him into the top ten of fantasy, you know, um, point guards. What do we need to see from John Morant to get him into the top ten for next year? Because I, like you said, you mentioned that his percentages and all these things were. We're pretty good for for a rookie season. I mean, they were great. It was almost he almost shot fifty percent. I mean, his free throw percentage was seventy seven percent, which is which is you know it's it's below average, but it's good. Um, his assist was seven per game, which is a very good you know rookie assist number. But his steals and blocks were both below one steal and obviously you know less than half a block a game. But his steals were below one steal a game, which steal is something that I you know. I well, it's definitely a sleeper have, have a lot of value for in my fantasy league. So, yeah. So, I, I'm asking you, what, what does John Morant need to do I mean, I, for his I big step to get into me, the top it, 10 next it year? It would be simply being a, a, a bigger volume on his team, providing a, a bigger role. I mean, you guys got to understand he put up those stats as a rookie. Like, I, I don't know if you guys are comparing him to all these players. The fact that he was even considered even on your list, Giuseppe, you guys had him, or maybe not you, Giuseppe, but 
Vince had him on his list and, and Matt was thinking of him, you know, a little bit lower than the top 10. He was a rookie. You know what I'm saying? It's he's, he's going to, I just think he's going to make a significant jump. I see mm-hmm. him, you know, sharing the ball a lot more. Well, the, the energy he plays with is, is, is crazy. It's almost like a Westbrook vibe, but in a more productive way. Yeah. I, I think that we're, that we're in an era right now. Obviously we're in an era of where the point guard is arguably the most important player on the court for most teams, at least, but, we are also in an era, I feel, where point guards take a big jump fairly early in their careers. You look at guys, you know, as recent as this year with Trey Young and Luka Doncic. Well, guards, I guess, not point guards, but Trey Young and Luka Doncic. You look beyond that, guys like Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, who really took a huge jump their second year. You know, you get used to the league, the pace of it, how teams defend and things like that. And once you start to adjust to that, a lot of these players do take a big jump. And I see something like that out of Ja. I am I have him as number nine on my list because I think that that jump's going to land him around, you know, 21, 22 points a game, maybe eight assists, but he still will have those problems of, you know, high turnovers, low three points, low steals, which I think tether him a little bit. But beyond that, I think he'll be a great fantasy option for next year and somebody that'll be highly sought after in most fantasy leagues, especially as the Grizzlies most likely will be once again fighting for playoff positioning near the near the bottom tiers, seventh, eighth of the of the Western Conference and. I think he's a great consistent option that I would take so, again the heart. Let me ask you this, Vince. Would you take John Morant over Kyrie Irving? Or I'll actually, you know, I'll ask this, I'll ask the Matt. I mean, not Matt, I'm sorry, Mike. Mike, would you take yes. John Morant over yes, Kyrie Irving if you had him on your I, I wouldn't pay. I you would take pay John Morant next year over Kyrie Irving. For Kyrie Irving. If it's in same value. Yeah, the same, the same value. Draft, I have the I same have value. The, let's just say 15th pick and they're both available. I'm taking John Morant. There's just no question about it. And, and, and that's not based on numbers like at all whatsoever. It's Kyrie Irving being injury prone, John Morant being young, ready to go. I see great things in him. Yes. I would take him above Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie Irving almost doubled his point value last year. His, their field goal percentage is about the same. His, Free throw percentage is much better. Assists are higher. His rebounds are know, higher. His steals are higher. And like I would he, assume his blocks he's, are he's higher. In and out, man. He would probably. I if Kyrie Irving was on my fantasy team, I probably would have pulled a Vince and just said, and just been done, dude. Like my team was hurt all year long. I mean, I don't see him as ever being a. I don't ever see him as being a fully healthy. Yeah, player he had, he had again, a big man. That's mentally or physically, because I, I, I just I'm not a, I'm not big on Kyrie, and I would much rather have Morant. I the injury risk and the injury problems is definitely an issue. Uh, when I made these stats, I kind of looked at it in a vacuum, assuming that all players would play all games. So that's why I definitely have Irving way above John Morant in my rankings. I don't, I didn't even consider John Morant my top fifteen, which could be a problem just because I know I was too high. I, I think I was maybe too low on him, but um, I do see. I know I know that there's a big jump between these point guards when they're young and they're. And John Moran has the keys in Memphis, and he's going to be playing every minute of every game, and he's going to be, you know, running that offense. But I just don't see him being able to take that jump in one year with the same amount of minutes and, you know, usage. I don't see him making a big jump into a top 10 next year's fantasy point guards. That's the feeling I get for him. And I think that, you know, from an opportunity cost standpoint, I feel – you're, you can't lose with, with drafting him. Obviously, it's going to be for the right price, but you can't. I only see I only see upward arrows for him. So I hope so. I mean, I drafted him last year. I'm a big fan of John Moran, so I hope, yeah, I think, I hope he you know takes that jump. I just don't see it next year. Yeah, I think that with a guy like John Moran, I mean, Mike's completely right. I'm at fault a lot of the time of looking too much at a player's numbers and the stats, but you would never – you know, fly on a guy like Jonathan Isaac or a guy like, well, I guess I take Miles Turner every year and I'm always wrong, but the sentiment is there where there are guys every year that because they have something in them in just their basketball abilities outside of their pure stats, their coaches will play them more. They'll have a playbook that will be more engineered to them. And I think that Ja has kind of a perfect storm where he's growing, where he's growing up in a Memphis system that is fairly fast paced, works well for him, and he'll be playing a lot of minutes and really being the general on that team. So we've come now to the 10th spot uh, and the final spot on our top 10 list of fantasy point cards for this upcoming season. Um, and we have Kemba Walker. 
Uh, Giuseppe, you had him the highest on your list and why at number seven, even though he comes in at number 10 in the consensus. Involving Can you talk Kemba a little Walker. bit more about why you're so high on him and what you expect from him for this upcoming season? I think Kemba Walker is a phenomenal player. Um, I was very high on Kemba Walker this, this past year. My main priority in my draft was to get Kemba Walker because um, his the year prior to that with the Hornets was, I think, top five that year for me. So, um one thing that really intrigued me about Kemba Walker when I wanted him last year was his free throw attempts per game and how high his field goal percentage was or his free throw percentage was. So I, I hope that Kemba Walker in my league was going to strengthen my free throw percentage and kind of carry my team in that sense. Last year, I was disappointed that he didn't do that. I think the change of teams, like playing with the Boston Celtics, he was, um, his usage went down a ton being the head guy in the Boston Celtics offense, but also having to spread the ball around to many different significantly better players than he had with the Hornets. That really swayed my, um, my rankings. He had his lowest assist percentage in his career, which was significant to me because the Boston Celtics offense is different than any other offense in the NBA where they're always constantly passing the ball and constantly moving. And it's not always Kemba Walker, even bringing the ball up. You, you even see Jason Tatum bringing the ball up a few times. Uh, less likely that uh, Jalen Brown will bring up the ball, but there are times where Kemba will walk it up and just hand it off to Jalen Brown, and then they'll start their offensive play from there. So it's not always the ball in Kemba Walker's hand. He makes a pass and someone gets a point. It's more, you know, they pass until the guy's open and whoever has it shoots it. So you saw Kemba Walker's assist percentage go down to his lowest in his career. I also expected a higher field goal percentage for being on the Celtics and kind of taking better shots. But I didn't see that that jump for him. And he has the lowest turnovers in the top 10. So that's why I had him so high was his, his turnover rate considering my other top you know, six players. I want to talk here as a resident only guy who didn't put Kemba Walker in his top 10 because that was one of the more difficult decisions that I made here. And one that when I started drafting on my list, I didn't think I was going to make. I, I definitely assumed that Kemba Walker would be around seven or eight on my list. But as I did go along it and looked at his stats and compared them to other players that I do have in my top 10 here, I realized that a lot of players, when they come into Brad Stevens' system, sharing the ball a lot, making sure that everybody touches touches the rock and gets a few shots up each game, that sacrifices some stats. Kemba Walker was coming off the best season of his career in Charlotte where he put up 26 points a game. And then this year he put up respectable numbers at 21, 4, and 5 with about three threes a game and was fairly consistent throughout the season. But he also did shoot 42% on the f- uh, from the field. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I see as players that are going to continue to improve. They're both very young players, and Tatum – post-All-Star break was excellent, clearly the number one option in their offense, and he was taking the ball up more and more as the season progressed, and as he came into his own a little bit more. As Mike said last last episode, he thought Jason Tatum was always going to be a stud, was going to be the best player in that draft class, and he really is showing now that that is something that he is capable of doing, and I think that's going to take a lot away from Kemba's numbers for this next year. Um, He is only 30 years old. I I say only because he's he's still getting into his older part of his career, but He's still a fairly young point guard. I think he has another good five years to play in the league, and he still has a lot to play for. I think that I hope my hope is that he comes back hungry next year, willing to take the ball more and maybe be a, a focal point of Brad Stevens' offense instead of just another piece. Awesome. So that wraps up our top ten list here today. But before we end the episode, I do want everybody to discuss a little bit more about the one player that they had on their list that nobody else had and who didn't make our top 10. Each of us had at least one guy who a lot of other people weren't high on. Maybe it's because we're just barely out of the cut of other people's lists or because it's just a player that you see making a huge improvement in this upcoming season. For me, that player is Drew Holiday, a guy that I think is the pinnacle of consistency, a player that for the past few seasons has been putting up 25 and 5 as one of the best wing defenders in the league um, with two steals a game. Obviously, I know that there is concern this next year that Lonzo Ball and, and Zion Williamson will have their own system running, similar to maybe the 2014 or 2015 Clippers, and that Drew Holiday will take on more of a shooter role in the in the offense, who will take the ball up occasionally, but won't really be more of a focal point. But I see him as a player who is consistently excellent at providing well-rounded stats. He shoots around 50% from the field, I believe, and 
like I said, 25 and seven this past year, two and a half stocks, which is steals and blocks combined is elite. And if he does end up taking a backseat to Zion Williamson and Lonzo ball to a good degree, it could hurt his staff. I mean, but I still see him being a very good option. If you are looking to get a, a high, yeah, I love your point guard in your fantasy draft. I loved drew holiday this year. I thought he had a phenomenal year. Zion, Zion Williams was missing for most of that year. So that, was something that I had to consider when I made my rankings. Also, I had to consider, like you said, there's a lot of players in that starting lineup that can score, that will be doing different things. And you mentioned Drew Holiday potentially becoming maybe more of a shooter than a ball handler. And I don't have the stats on this, but if I remember correctly, I don't think Drew Holiday is one of, you know, he's not really elite shooter. He's a good shooter, but I don't think he's kind of that spot-up guy that will sit in the corner and, and just shoot three. So I don't think that will benefit his play style. Also to that point, I think Drew Holiday would be the sixth man of the year if they played him as that, but I don't think they're going to because they value his defensive ability on the starting lineup because he can lock down probably three positions, that point guard, shooting guard, small forward if they needed to, and they use him as that on their team. He kind of guards the the best player on the other team, so I don't think he will be playing that sixth man role, but if he did, I think his production would actually go up. So, Mike, I see that you have Shagilis Alexander here, number seven on your list, but excluded his teammate, Chris Paul. Can you talk more about the decision, why you put Shea in your top ten, and what you expect out of him for the season? Looking at a player like SGA, I think that is shooting incredible percentages, as we've seen even comparing him to Kyrie Irving and Chris Paul, 47% field goal, 80% free throw, nearly 20 points per game. I just see him as someone who, who belongs on that list. And I can understand that, yes, they are a young player, and yes, there are other players who can provide more and more areas, but we don't know where his ceiling lies. I mean, he's already made a huge jump from being traded from the Clippers to the Thunder. It's going to be interesting to see how the Thunder rebuilds that team, and, and I feel honestly feel they're going to rebuild it around a player like Shy. For sure. I want to hear about what Matt said about yeah, Shea. So his top 10 too, I definitely think to add to like that. how Mike was super high on John Morant. I definitely think SGA is very primed to have another breakout year this coming season. And that's why I have him at 10. Like we said, I think he's going to get more responsibility in OKC. And I don't, I don't ever see it happening, but like if they trade Chris Paul, he's going to get the keys to OKC. Yeah, the problem is I don't think they find, I don't think they find a trade partner oh, yeah, they... for Chris Paul. I don't think anyone in the league is going to put mm-hmm. all that much investment in his next two years of his contract. So I think Chris Paul is kind of stuck at OKC, and I think they're happy with it. Like, I think they're happy with Chris Paul, but even though they're not happy with the contract, I think they're like, you know what, we got some good players in that trade yeah. and some, some picks, so we're going we're gonna to run with it. So I thought it was interesting that you had two players from the same team, the top 10 point guards, and how that would work out in your rankings because, I mean, is there enough production for Chris Paul and SGA to both make it in top 10? I know Mike didn't have Chris Paul in his top 10, but you mentioned, you know, get, handing off the keys to SGA, but also having Chris yeah. Paul. Yeah, well, I'm saying production. I definitely think as Chris Paul gets older, he's definitely more susceptible to being injured. So whenever he gets injured, SGA is me picking up a lot of that production. I mean, but even at that, I mm-hmm. still think there's enough ball to go around, especially in OKC's system. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really... They run a three-guard system as is. Did, did you think that Schroeder wasn't productive? Yeah. I mean, Schroeder d- dang near averaged as much as Chris Paul did. A, a poor man, Chris was. Paul, but he came off the bench. And, and their yeah. system, I think that the, there is enough yeah, that's a good point for, for Chris Paul and, and Shai to be in that top ten. And Giuseppe, I, I guess I guess to follow up to your question, who else in OKC yeah. is going to be taking that production if it's not SGA, if it's not Chris Paul, if it's not Dennis Schroeder? You're saying at the guard position? I mean, Gallinari's still there. I don't know what his contract is. I, I think his contract's running out, so he might not be there next year. But they're obviously going to have other pieces around there. They can't. They're not going to play two guards and Dort. But they're not going to play. I don't know. They they need to get other players, mm-hmm. and they're going to get other players because they want us to still be competitive. You know, Stephen Adams really isn't going to take any of their production away. I, I think it's a good point with the three three man game because. They're kind of playing them in different rotations, but also only playing those three at the point guard, shooting guard, and then bench. So it's kind of two of those guys are always on the court and one guy's on the bench. So it actually kind of helps, you know, the fact that you guys have, or Matt has Chris Paul and SGA in the top 10, because that kind of spreads out the minutes between three guys instead of usually spreading out between four, where the point guard and the shooting guard will both come off, and then two new point guard and shooting guards will come on. 
but instead they're kind of rotating him where I think the first rotation, Chris Paul comes off and SGA and uh, Dennis Schroeder will play together. And then the next, the next rotation, SGA will come off and then Chris Paul comes on. So I think that kind of helps your argument where the minutes are more allocated to those three rather than four players in that guard position. Giuseppe, to your point, this is the last year on Danilo Gallinari's contract. I do too. I see OKC retaining him. He is the best spot-up shooter on the roster. He had a much better year this past season than at least I expected of him. I believe he put up 20 points a game with a couple three-pointers. And to me, with SGA, he hasn't yet, obviously he could take a big jump. He hasn't yet proven himself in my mind to be a great distributor. And with a team with as many weapons like OKC, I mean, they don't have one superstar, but you don't get to be a playoff team in the stacked Western Conference without having a good amount of depth. And they do have Chris Paul, SGA, Dennis Schroeder, Gallinari, Stephen Adams, who we haven't mentioned yet. You know, the Chris Paul and Stephen Adams pick and roll is probably the most popular or at, at the very least one of the best plays in that Thunder playbook. And a lot of that does exclude Shea Gilders Alexander. That's one of the reasons why I had him outside of my top 10. He put up 19-6-3 this last year, which is really, really good and, and better than a lot of people thought that he was going to get. And I think he'll make a jump next yep, year. I agree I with what Ruben said. I think his assist guard. numbers are far too low, and I don't see him taking a big jump in that for me. His, for me, like, I liked his defensive stats, but they weren't, you know, anything crazy like Ben Simmons, you know, at t- uh, two steals per game. So I didn't think he warranted a top 10. The next guy I want to mention who was in my top 10 was Fred Van V. I think that was pretty shocking to hear from everyone here on this podcast that Fred Van Vliet would be in my top 10. But I, like I said before, I'm expecting him to sign a new contract with a new team. I hope that he goes to the Pistons because I think he's a good point guard, a solid point guard. And I think he'd be perfect on a two-year contract that would transition the Pistons between whatever, whatever phase of the process we are of tanking and being bad right now and hopefully transition us into a, a better you know process. But he had the lowest assist percentage at 27.4 assist percentage of all the point guards that I looked up in the top, you know, 15 last year, meaning that he wasn't the focal point of that Raptors offense. And he still averaged 6.6 assists per game with the lowest assist percentage, which I think is a crazy number considering there are players like Westbrook where at OKC the last year he was at 52%. And he averaged 10 assists a game or almost 11. But that's only four or five assists less with half the percentage of Van Vliet. So if you put that in perspective, Van Vliet, if he's going at 50%, he could get about 13 assists per game, which I'm not expecting. But I do expect if he's the starter, he will be playing significantly more minutes. He will be he will be at almost 10 assists per game. He was also averaging two almost two steals a game with a career high last year of seven steals in one game, which I think is completely underrated. He was almost at Ben Simmons' level of steals, which I thought was phenomenal. He shot 2.7 threes a game. That being said, he did shoot a very poor percentage at at the three-point. So I don't know if he was just given the green light to shoot more and he was more willing to shoot than he would next year. But I still expect his three-point to be at two and a half per game. He's still only 26 years old. I don't think people realize how young he is and how he still can take another step, which I think a step will take because he was getting more minutes rather than him becoming better. And he averaged 2.3 turnovers a game, once again, because he wasn't handling the ball more. So I expect him to have more turnovers a game, but still at a below so average level. You're expecting a, a trade from Fred Van Vliet for the upcoming season? Not a trade. Um, this is his last year of his Raptors contract, so I expect him to look elsewhere because he's going to look for a bigger contract than Toronto Raptors will be offering him. Like I said, I hope he signs for the Pistons, but I expect him to sign for a lower-level team to be the starter rather than be another role player on another team. All right, well, that pretty much wraps us up here today. Just to kind of final finish out this episode here, go over our top ten. We have Damian Lillard at number one, Stephen Curry at number two, Trey Young at number three, Kyrie Irving at number four, Russell Westbrook at number five, Kyle Lowry at number six, Ben Simmons at number seven, Chris Paul at number eight, John Moran at number nine, and Kemba Walker at number 10. If you do want to see this list, you can look down towards the description of our, our podcast here today, or you can follow us on Twitter at FlashyStackedPod, where you'll, where you'll see that, as well as a lot more information about our episodes coming up and where all, all of them are going to be posted at. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode, and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did, and we will see you on Wednesday for our next episode.